Welcome back to our series, Summer in the Psalms. Um, each week, we've been looking at a different psalm and what God speaks to us through that psalm and what that psalm reveals to us about who God is and how he wants to work in our lives. And uh, each week, it's, it's been something new and kind of exciting. And I hope that these psalms have come to life to you, maybe in a little bit different way. You know, every once in a while, you know, we, when we're kind of blowing through Scripture we, we forget the depth of the meaning and the depth of the stuff that God wants to share with us. And I hope, I hope this has been helpful for you. Today, uh, I want to look at a psalm that I honestly believe is the most remarkable psalm uh, in, in the Bible. Uh, it has not just incredible truth, uh, but there are some features about it that are absolutely amazing. Um, today, I want to talk about Psalm 22. Um, it's a psalm that's attributed to David and uh, as you know, David had a lot of ups and downs in his life, and uh, life wasn't always rosy. He had a lot of hard times. He went through a lot of difficulty. He was often running for his life. He found himself in really dark places. But over and over again, David discovered this one truth, God is faithful. Everybody say that with me. God is faithful. Now, I don't know who you are, don't know what you're going through, don't know what you're facing in your life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. And I'm sure that there are some of you who are going through that place. And maybe kind of the question we asked last week was, where is God when it hurts? Uh, maybe right now you, you're kind of thinking, I, it's hard for me to see God. But I want you to know that just beyond what you can see, God is there. And that's why I entitled this song, this, uh, the message today, uh, Tragedy and Triumph. Because no matter what kind of tragedy or struggles you're going through, our God has promised us triumph. And that's what we're going to discover today. I want to throw the words uh, to the first part of the psalm up there. I'm not going to take time to, to read all of Psalm 22, but I really do want to encourage you this week in just some of your own time of reflection to sit with Psalm 22. And uh, you've got an insert in your bulletin, uh, not only that has the sermon outline, but some other stuff I'm going to refer to later. But I really just want you to discover the depth of this and just let God amaze you with, with who he is. Um, here's what David says in Psalm 22, beginning verse 1. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How many of you have ever felt like that? You know, just forsaken. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my, my cries of anguish? My God, I cry to you by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I find no rest. Now look at this next part. He says, yet you... Now, I want to stop because when you go through this psalm on your own, what you're going to discover is David often does this. He talks about the lamenting part of the struggle that he's having, but then he says, yet you, or but you, because again, over and over again, no matter what we're going through, there's always this God who is there, and that's what David shares over and over again. He says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you are ancestors Put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Now I want you to notice that David does what I talked about last week. And that is that whenever we're struggling with God in the moment, all we need to do is to remember what God has done. 
And I told you last week, if we ever forget what God has done, it'll be hard for us to believe what God can do. But what David does in the Psalm, he, he points back and he says, God, I know you were there. Our, our, our ancestors trusted you. you. You saw them out of Egypt. You provided in the wilderness. You brought them into the promised land over and over and over again. They trusted you and you stepped up. And you know what, God? You can do it again. Amen? You can do it again. Now, as I was going through this psalm, there were just so many different ways I could go, but I, I kind of tried to zero in on three. I wanted to keep this to an hour and a half message, so um, just kidding. But I wanted, I wanted to give you just a few thoughts that I hope will really speak to you where you are. Now, again, for whether you're watching online or you're here, I know that some of you are in really difficult places, and I really believe this is something God wants to say to you today. Are you ready? Let me give you three simple but incredibly profound thoughts that this psalm teaches us. Here's the first one. This psalm reveals the compassion of God. It reveals the compassion of God. He understands our suffering. He understands our suffering. You know, it's funny, two years ago, um, I had my right knee replaced, and I had posted about it on Facebook. We throw our lives out on Facebook, and you know, I posted about it. it. It's been so funny how many people, just yesterday, I, had, I was talking to someone, and they said, tell me about your knee replacement. What was that like? How much pain did you have? When were you able to walk again? We, we always want to talk to someone who has gone through what we're going through. That, that makes sense? And, and when we talk to God, when we pray, do you understand you're talking to someone who has walked where you walked, who's gone through what you're going through? The first line of this psalm, let's go back to Psalm 20, that very first psalm, it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever read those words in other places in scripture? Where we're at? Yeah, Jesus said them when? When he was on the cross. Think about this with me. You know, sometimes we read those words in the New Testament and we think, oh my gosh, Jesus Jesus thought God had abandoned him. No, 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 no. <clears throat> Jesus was quoting this psalm. He was going back into the word and he was drawing strength from it. And you're going to find as you read through this psalm why Jesus was quoting this. He says, my God, my God. No. But when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was going through everything that we have gone through. He, he struggled with all of this stuff. Uh, in fact, look at the, look at the words there uh, from, from John 1. It reminds us that in the, beginning, in the beginning was the Word. It's speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Read it with me. And the Word was God. Now read it out loud. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God didn't just stay in heaven and go, all you pitiful poor people. He came from heaven to earth, lived among us, went through everything that we go through, and, and, and emerged victoriously. So when you pray, you're praying to someone who completely understands. In fact, I, I love how the Hebrews writer wrote, wrote it in, in Hebrews 4.15. Read it out loud with me. It says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings that we do. Let that just blow you away. God chose to go through what we go through. So he could not just have sympathy for us. He has empathy for us. 
He knows where we're at. Um, Leith Anderson, uh, great author, um, pastored for a number of years. He was telling a story of uh, he was on a, a trip to the Philippines and doing some missions, exploration kinds of stuff. And he had a host pastor over there who was showing him some of the work that they were doing uh, over in the Philippines. And he said when he was in Manila, the biggest city, he said his host pastor, he said one day, he said, we're going to go on a little field trip. And Elith said, well, he was interested in, well, where's this going to be? And he said this pastor took him to the city landfill. And he said when they got out to this landfill, he said it was a dump. He said it was a humongous dump. It, it just went on for what seemed like miles. He said he couldn't believe how much garbage and trash and stuff had been dumped here. He said, but that wasn't the part that blew him away. The part that blew him away was that there were tens of thousands of people who lived at this dump. He said there were, these were people who were incredibly impoverished and they, they literally scavenged every day at, at this dump, foraging food. They were eating the things that people had thrown away. They took the discarded items that people had thrown in the trash and they literally made their homes out of this you know, broken wood or cardboard. This is, this is where these people live. And he said as the pastor was showing him around, he said, he, he's letting him know, he said, you know, Leith, there are, there are people who are born on this dump raised on this dump and they die on this dump and never leave this area. They never even uh, you know, venture into the city. He said, this is all that they know. And Leith said he was overwhelmed. Then the pastor took him to a group of people and he started introducing him to these Americans who were also living at that dump. But they lived there because they chose to. They were missionaries. And they chose to live at this dump in order that they could minister to these people every single day, praying with them, giving them hope, helping them, trying to minister to any kind of medical needs that they have, and obviously sharing the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Leith said he was overwhelmed by these people who would give up living in air-conditioned houses and having a lot of nice stuff in order to be with this group of people who lived at a dump. And he said, and that's when it hit him. This is exactly what God did. God left the splendor of heaven to come to our dump and live here among us. Amen? And, and so look at me. And so when you're going through these, these hard times, you go through, understand this is a God who has chosen to walk the path that you have walked. He empathizes with us. You know, I, was, I sat down and I was just thinking about all the ways and things that Jesus went through. And I know that a lot of us have gone through all kinds of stuff. And you wonder, have Jesus really experienced that? We're going to throw some of these up on the screen for you. I just, I, when I just put them down, things that I like to think about. Jesus faced temptation. Come on, how many of you have ever been tempted? Yeah, this morning. Yeah, yeah. It's always there. Yeah, His, Jesus faced temptation. It says he was in the, in the desert 40 days doing what? Being tempted by Satan. Jesus knew poverty. We don't often think about that, but he did. Jesus told the people who wanted to follow him, he said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man, guess what? Has no place to lay his head. Jesus dealt with frustration. How many of you have been frustrated this last week? 
Yeah. How many of you brought your frustration with you to church this morning? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Jesus dealt with that when he went into the temple and he saw how they were treating the house of God. He said he scattered the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables. Get out of here. He said, how dare you turn my father's house into a market? Jesus experienced fatigue. How many of you have seen any of the, the chosen, that, the series, The Chosen? That is probably the most realistic picture of Jesus I've seen. You know, in most of the, in most of the uh, movies and things you see, you know, Jesus kind of walks around and it's almost like he's above and beyond anything that these humans are going through. In The Chosen, they, they truly picked him as, as fully God and fully human. And you see him at the end of the day where he tells his disciples, I'm, I'm really tired, I need, I need to sleep. And we forget that, that he was and he knew fatigue. He experienced fatigue. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Jesus had disappointments. Uh, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he prayed. How often I have longed to gather you, your, your children together like a hen gathers a chick, but you weren't willing. Jesus dealt with rejection. Ever been rejected? How much that hurts? It says from this time on, many of his disciples turned back, no longer followed him. Jesus had sorrow. My soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Jesus faced ridicule, so we'll talk about it in a minute. Again and again, they struck him, spit on him, falling on their knees. They paid mocking homage to him. Jesus went through loneliness from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt that Jesus experienced grief. We find him at the side of the tomb of, Mo, of uh, his friend Lazarus, and it says what? Jesus wept. He cried like we cried. Jesus knew betrayal. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest and did what? To betray him. And Jesus experienced death. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Now, I, I, just want you to, I, I just want you to let this sink in. Because when you cry out to God for what you're going through, guess what? God gets you. Jesus get you. If any of you want a copy of the things I just read, just email me here at the church. I'll be happy to send it to you. It goes for you, you guys online too. Feel free to do that. Jesus understands. Second thing I want, I want to point out this psalm, and this is so, so wild. This psalm demonstrates the sovereignty of God. It demonstrates the sovereignty of God. God is at work in all situations. God is at work in all situations. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes it may not seem like it, but God is always, always working, always working. There was a, uh, there was a, an amazing story. Throw that picture up on the screen for me. This is Joan Murray. Uh, it was 40, 47 year old gal who, um, in 1999, on September 25th, 1999, she went skydiving. And uh, she had been skydiving many times before. I think this was like her 35th, 36th jump. How many of you sky, have skydived? Anybody in here skydived? Uh, yeah, some of you guys have. Yeah. yeah. For me, I like to just kind of stay put on a perfectly good plane. You know what I'm saying? But uh, they, she, she was skydiving, and she lives she's out in North, North Carolina. And uh, she jumps out of the plane at 14,500 feet, and she's free-falling, and I understand that that's just the most exhilarating feeling in the world, man, just falling through the air, you know, and all this. And then uh, she goes to time to hit her chute and she pulls the string on the chute and it doesn't open. And I can't imagine a, a, a more horrible thought than falling toward the ground and your chute not opening. 
And she's yanking and yanking, and it's not coming open, it's not coming open. And now she's starting to spin in the air, and she, she tries to get it. She finally is able to cut it away. And at 700 feet from the ground, she hits her backup chute. But because she's spinning, her backup chute just popped open and then collapsed. So now, imagine with me, some of you have taken some falls, maybe from 5 feet, 10 feet, maybe even 15, 20 feet. You know how that hurt. She's free falling from 700 feet. She hits the ground at 80 miles an hour on her right side, conscious through this whole, whole ordeal. Hits the ground, is still barely alive, but she lands on a fire ant mound. Now, how many of you, we're from the south here, how many of you have ever been stung by a fire ant? That, it's worse than a bee sting. I mean, those, those little rascals hurt, man. She falls on it, hits this fire ant mound. She gets stung over 200 times. I mean, it's kind of like, now picture with me. You're free falling through the air, you're crying out to God, God save me, God save me. You hit the ground and you think, maybe I'll survive this. And then you realize, I'm getting stung by fire edge. And you're going, really, Lord? You know, I mean, really? I, I just, is my chute not opening? Not enough? You got to, you know, you got to rub insult to injury. But here's the deal. They, the, the responders got to her. They were able to stabilize her. They, they got her to the hospital. And as they're talking to her, the doctor tells her, he said, you know, you got several crushed bones and all, but you're going to be okay. And he said, you know, amazingly, if you not, had not fallen on that fire ant mound, you would not have survived. And she's like, what? And he said, those over 200 plus stings that you got, he said, that caused your body to flood itself with adrenaline. And that's what kept your heart going until the responders got there. He said, if it had not been for that, your heart would have stopped and you had not been with us. Now look at me and get this. God is at work. Sometimes you don't see it. Sometimes you may be like her and go, really, God? I mean, really? And sometimes it's only as we look back can we see the hand of God. But here's what I promise you. God is always at work. In fact, look at the passage of Scripture with me. Paul gives us in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Read it out loud with me. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, you guys read that so weak. That was just, that was just bad. This, this is an incredible promise of God that he'll never leave us or forsake us and that he's always working. Now, I want, to, I want to read it again. And when it says, and we know, do you know that? I want you to hit that word know with all you got. You ready? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, again, you may not understand it, you may not see it, but God is always working. Sometimes you say, God, where are you? And I can tell you where he is. He's working. He's working. And sometimes we're not aware of it. Sometimes we don't see it. But he's always at work. You know, Jeremiah 2911 reminds us that, you know, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans that are good not for evil, plans to give you a hope and a future. And sometimes we forget that God is always about the business of carrying out his plans and his purposes in our lives. Proverbs 19, 21, I love it. Read it out loud. 
says, many are the plans in a person's life, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevail. Now, how active is God at fulfilling his plan and purposes? I, I want to call your attention to something. And uh, I, this to me was just absolutely amazing. In your bulletin, you're going to notice I put this sheet in there, Psalm 22 and its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. If you walk through this, and I'm not going to go through all this today, but if you walk through this psalm, you're going to see verse after verse that was fulfilled through Christ, particularly on the day of the crucifixion. You're going to find in there, uh, as, as the people were uh, mocking him, you're going to find that in the psalm. You're going to find that in, in, in the story of Jesus. You're going to, you're going to find where Jesus says, and they, 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 David says, they pierced my hands and my feet, which is straight from the cross. Over and over and over again, you get all of these things that, that when David was writing this, he was writing about his own journey, but he didn't know that God was also using him to say in advance what was going to happen to his son when he came to earth. Now, when you read this, you're going to go, man, that is amazing. How can God do that? This was written, Psalm 22 was written 1,000 years before Jesus even came. And yet God spelled out in detail, this is what my son is going to do for you. That is the sovereignty of God. You can rest in that. I, I love what Charles Spurgeon says he says, you know, when you, go, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. What's that mean? That means when I'm going through something and I totally don't understand and I can't see the other side, I can lay my, my head on the pillow of knowing God has got this and God has got me. Amen. Look at me. Hear my heart. Don't know what you're going to go through this week. Don't know what you're going to face in the next month or years of your life. But this is what I do know. God is already moving there. There's not a day of your life that something happens to you and you turn to God to pray and God goes, oh, I had no idea that was going to happen, you know. God doesn't operate like that. He's sovereign. He is always moving, not just behind us and with us, but he is always moving ahead of us. Let me give you one more. This psalm assures us of the victory of God. It assures us of the victory of God. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. You know, you, when you start out reading this psalm and it starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It would be real easy to think that this is a psalm of, of defeat, that this is a psalm where you're throwing up your hands and saying, you know, I, I guess that's it. God's left me and there's nothing to do. I might as well eat a worm, you know. But it's not like that at all. Psalm 22, as you read through it again and again, comes back to who God is and what he's going to do. In fact, the end of the psalm, well, again, let me give you Romans 8, 37. Read that out loud with me. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Do you believe that? You know, look, look at what Psalm 22, when we get to the end of that psalm, look at what it says. He says, all who seek the Lord 
will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nation will bow down before him. For, read it out loud. For royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Now when you picture Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I also want you to picture him saying under his breath, maybe not loud enough for the audience to hear, but again, just this, this affirmation of who he is. All the families of the nation will bow down before him for royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules the nation. I've read the end of the book. Guess what? We win. Amen? We win. Our story, I put this on your outline, our story does not end in a grave. It ends in a resurrection. And that's the part that we always have to keep in mind. Jesus may have died on the cross. He may have been buried in the tomb, but three days later, he came back from the dead and went to ascended to the Father. And that's the hope we have. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've been through. The worst this world can do is put you in a grave. Look at me. But you're not gonna stay there. Not if your heart belongs to the Lord. Because we too will be with him. Amen? That's our hope. And that's our faith. You know, some of you may be going through tough places. And you may, you may be facing some tough times. And you may have had one thing right after another. It may feel like, the, you know, the enemy is described as a lot of things in, in the Bible. He's described as a, as, a, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You see all these images. The first one that we get is early in Genesis when he's described as a snake. And I love that because uh, I think he is. He's just a sneaky little snake, man. That's, what he, that's who he is and that's what he does. But a great story. Let, let me, this, this, and I thought this is the perfect picture of what we need to remember. Um, there's a guy, there was a guy in South Africa in 2001. His name is Lucas Sabanda, Labanda. And uh, he's 57 years old. He's walking home. And he's in kind of a little bit of a remote path um, going, heading, heading to his house. And all of a sudden, he sees, hears this rustling in the brush, and he turns around, and here's this huge python that comes slithering out. Now, how many of you are afraid of snakes? Yeah. How many of you are afraid of snakes that are 20 feet long? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this huge python comes, comes slithering out, and it, it scared him to death, and he just froze. And this python comes slithering over and it starts wrapping itself around him. And that's what, that's what these snakes do. Pythons and anacondas, they, 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 they wrap around you and they start constricting and they try to crush your bones and they try to suffocate you with their squeezing and then they try to swallow you whole. Now you can camp on that thought for the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> and so he, he's there and this thing is, is wrapped around him and it starts to constrict. And all of a sudden it's like he shakes himself and realizes if I just stand here, this snake is going to devour me. I'm going, I'm going to be lunch. And so this is, how, is he's telling this in an, in an interview with the paper later. But he's, he's standing there and he realizes, I've got to do something. And he said, by this time, he's got to get his arms in. He said, the only thing I knew to do was to bite the snake. And so as this thing wraps around him, he clamps down on this snake's neck right, right beneath the head. And he just buries his teeth in it. And he's holding on like a, like a dog, you know, ah. And he's got that snake. I don't know how many people the snake may have devoured in the past. 
I don't know how many other animals, but I, this may be in the first time a python ever got bit back. You know what I'm saying? And he's just holding on for dear life. And he says this old python starts squirming because he's drawing blood now, man. I mean, he's really clamped down on this thing. And this snake is just working, working. And he said, as it does, it starts loosening up a little bit. And he starts moving his hand. He starts punching the snake. He's trying to move his hand. He's punching it. And then he gets his legs loose and he starts kicking this snake. And he's got this thing. He's got it by the, like a dog. And he's got this thing. And he's punching and he's kicking it. And finally, the snake lets him go. And he was like, man, now he's feeling good, you know. So the snake drops to the ground. He goes, I'm not done yet. And he gets a stick and he beats this snake to death. And he takes this home. He drags this humongous snake home, skins it, and hangs it up on this house outside the door. And in the interview with Shokata, he said, you know, I just, I thank God that God brought me to my senses and I was able to respond, but I am not going to let any snake overcome me. Is that your declaration? Look at me. The Bible tells us that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And some of you, you, you may be there right now. That, that old snake may be wrapped around you and the enemy, the enemy may be crushing the life out of you and you, you may feel helpless. You may feel hopeless. You, you, may, you may feel like, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I want you to listen to me. You need to cry out to the Lord. Because this same God who was there for David, this same God who was with his son on the cross, that same God is with you right now. Amen? I'm going to invite my prayer partners, if you guys would, go ahead and, and, and come forward. And if you just take your places. And in just a moment, we're going to, uh, we're going to pray together. And... I want just to invite you, I, again, I don't, know, I don't know what you're going through, um, don't know where you're at, don't know what you're dealing with, um, but th this morning, uh, I just want to invite you to open your heart and mind to the work of God in you. you. You may be going through a time of tragedy. You may be going through a time of darkness. But this morning, I want you to lift your heart and lift your spirit to a God who is there for you. And this morning, I want to remind you, you're not alone. Not only is God with you, look at me, we're with you too. And us who are going to be your prayer partners today, we're, we would be more than happy to pray with you for whatever you're dealing with today. I don't know what trouble you're facing, what health issue you're going through, what financial crisis you may be facing. Maybe some of you are, are, are walking with a friend and you're like, Pastor Steve, man, I wish my friend would have heard what you said today because they really need that. And maybe you want to come and you want to pray for them. Be happy to agree with you in prayer for someone close to you. Rachel's going to lead us in this song. It's just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful song that reminds us that our God is the God of the storms, man, no matter what storms we're facing. And sometimes instead of panicking and worrying and fretting, we need to just be still and be reminded Father, we thank you today for how powerful your word is and how it reminds us of who you are and how you work in our lives. We thank you for your compassion today, that you're not just a God who has sympathy for us, but you're a God who has empathy. You've been where we are. You experienced what we go through. 
So when we cry out to you, you understand and you respond. God, we thank you for your sovereignty today. God, we thank you that when life seems so out of control, we can look to you and know that you're still in charge and that you hold us in the palm of your hand. Even when we're not sure where you at, we're assured, Lord, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. That in all things, you're working. And how we thank you, God. Lord, we thank you today that in you we find the victory. Uh, Lord, we know this life has a lot of ups and downs. And some days are good, some days are hard. But we thank you that you see us through each and every one. And one day, God, one day life will have its way with us. One day death will take us all. It took you. But we're so grateful today that the grave is not our home. That's not where we stay. That there is a resurrection and a victory and an eternal life that we look forward to. Father, I thank you today. Lord, I know that there are a lot of people walking through tough places. and Today, would you just wrap your arms around them? Would you give them the assurance of your presence and your power? Would you let them know that you are at work in their lives? Father, as we turn our faces toward you today, would you fill us with your hope? Would you fill us today with, with, your, with your grace? Would you fill our lives with an assurance that even though we don't know what tomorrow holds, we do know who holds tomorrow. We love you, Father. And it's in your precious name that we pray today. And everyone said, amen.